CNBA Hybrid Podcast brought to you by Jalen Nutzi, Michael Kimball, and Kyle Stein. And today we're joined by Andrew Kelly of Peachtree Hoops and Hawks Film Room. And Andrew also has one of the best Hawks-focused accounts on NBA Twitter. Uh, so welcome to the pod. Hey, so, guys. So since you're here, we got to talk Hawks. Uh, so that's first and foremost. That's what we're going to do. Um, and I want to start general before we get too specific. Um, and I just want to say... The Hawks are 10 and 10. They are six in the East. Uh, how should Hawks fans feel at this moment right now? Should they be satisfied? Should they be encouraged? Should they be a bit worried? What should be the mood of Hawks fans right now? Well, I think overall it's gone about according to expectation. Um, before the season, I had them pegged as roughly around a 500 team, like around the eight seed or sort of a floor as like a play-in tournament. And thus far, they've more or less been that. And it's also important to acknowledge that they've gotten essentially nothing from their offseason additions so far, with Gallinari only having recently returned and still being on limited minutes. And uh, Bogdanovich is out for probably at least another month. Chris Dunn hasn't even played. So they've had – they've gotten nothing basically from all their, you know – A little bit of Rondo, places. and that's about it, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. – it's, Rondo has been playing, but aside from that, I mean, they, they haven't really seen too much of anybody else and they spent so much in the off season. So really like it's, it's really just been like Capella uh, playing very high level and uh, the younger, younger guys making more of a leap. Um, so thus far they've, they've been good. Um, I think that they have been pretty fortunate schedule wise. Like they, they've had a very easy schedule to this point and that it's going to get a lot tougher over the next month, but Thus far, they've, they've been in line with my expectations. Well, I, I'm curious. I looked at some of their just overall offensive rating, defensive rating. Last year, they were uh, 108 um, uh, offensive rating, uh, 115 defensive rating. That, and those were respectively 26th and 28th in the NBA. This year, they're at 113 on offense and 110 on defense, both of which are ranked 10th. And the net rating has gone from minus 7.5 last year to 2.5 plus uh this year so uh do you expect some regression based on the early schedule so far is this representative can we expect more when when gallo and and uh and and bogdan get back like how much can this team improve from here i would expect regression on the defensive end if you kind of go through the stats like opponents haven't been shooting all that well from three against them and the uh the Capella and the Collins front court have just been so effective defensively. If you start to look at their defensive metrics, I mean, they're really incredible with both those guys on. They're really good at sort of packing the paint and doing a yeah. good job of limiting shots at the rim. And, you know, Col- uh, Collins is a really good help protector. He's a really good help defender. Right. And uh, Capella is such an active rim protector that those two in conjunction work really well in the interior. And that's just yeah. provided a big, you know, basis for their defensive rise. But I do think that yeah. there will be some aggression there, especially as they play better teams. But offensively, I think that that's more or less what they'll be. I mean, I think they have all the ingredients to be, you know, a top 10 offense. They may have some wanes throughout the season, but you know, you look at Trey Young and Gallinari, uh, Hunter's rise this year, they have pretty good offensive personnel. Uh, so I think the offense will, you know, will stay in that area. Defense will, will come down some. Yeah. You mentioned Hunter's rise. What, what would, what do you attribute that to? I'm curious. Cause he's been sort of a fantasy darling in a way. That's how I recognized it. I'm not sure I would have, you know, caught his kind of huge improvement this year. If I weren't paying attention to fantasy, I don't know if I would have noticed if I just were, you know, looking at box scores. 
Yeah, he's been significantly better from last year. I, I think just it's, it's kind of a broad thing, but just confidence in general, I would say it's just night and day from last year. If you look through like his, his stats on like self-creation, which you could sort of use as like um, a shot coming after holding the ball for two seconds, two seconds is like a proxy. He's gotten so much sure. better from those types of shots. And he's just been really hot uh, from mid range. Uh, that's, he was a pretty good mid range shooter last year, but not to the, this degree. So he's just been super, super efficient in that area. And he's obviously shooting a little better uh, from three, not a, a ton better, but better. Um, so when you add in just the mid range efficiency, better self creation, better confidence, I mean, he's just right. playing so much better. Yeah. He's in the he's in the Jalen Brown school of improvement, who is also just <laughs> killing it from mid range right now. Um, but speaking yeah, that of, you know, speaking ahead, of, I was saying, speaking of Jalen Brown, and because it gives me a little bit of 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 space to be able to do this, I felt like uh, just bringing up DeAndre Hunter was a good moment for some self critique because you know last year on the pod, um, from a fantasy perspective, I was making the argument that you could see um, Jarrett Culver potentially having um, you know a, a better fantasy outlook than DeAndre Hunter, which has been totally wrong. I, my rationale for it um, isn't, I, I don't think is entirely crazy. You know, back then I was primarily making an argument on playing time and opportunity. And I just saw a lot of wings and, uh, you know, a lot of ways to cut into Hunter's playing time on the Hawks last year. Um, and, but at least I got Jalen Brown, right, you know, um, as a keeper on my team. <laughs> Yeah, I think he, it's really surprised everyone. I mean, even people that were high on Hunter did not see this coming. And I remember seeing a, a projection, like a minutes projection from Kelvin uh, Pelton before this season that had him around 700 minutes, which seemed off to me at the time, especially given their investment in him. But it's been remarkable how much he's improved. I mean, if you start to look through his advanced metrics, I mean, he's in top 100 in, in most of them after being near the bottom uh, last year. So it's just been box score. It's been on off. I mean, really everything for him. He's just made it a huge leap in the second year. Yeah, yeah. I'll miss that by a multiple of three, uh, give or take, um, <laughs> in that estimation. So that, yeah. So nobody saw that coming, though. I'm fascinated by that. Um, yeah, this brings me to like a, a thing I wanted to talk about. I mean, I think it's kind of hard to untie Hunter and Reddish uh, together, like in evaluations. And, you know, I was sort of reading articles uh, in the offseason about Reddish working with Brandon Payne, Steph Curry's trainer and like a lot of positive momentum about him working out. I read the article in The Athletic uh, about him working out. I think um, it was in California with some guys from other teams like KD and Harden and other guys. Um, and there just seemed to be a lot of positive momentum. And yet it feels like, uh, you know, Reddish is still giving you all the flashes that he gave you uh, to in the latter half of last year, but it feels sure. like he hasn't taken that like sort of consistent leap that Hunter has. And yeah, what is what have you been seeing from Reddish, Andrew? Yeah, you're you're right about all of that. There was a lot of uh, offseason hype. He, if you followed him last year, and with you guys being fantasy guys, I'm sure you did. From about January, you know, through the suspension of the season, he had really picked up steam was just playing so much better, particularly over like the last month before the suspension. And then in the off season with the long layoff, uh, I just, I think it sort of affected his progress to some degree. Uh, some of the self-creation flashes, like you said, Jalen, are, are still there where he just makes a move with like, you know, a spin move yeah. in mid range to, to go into a step back. And it just looks like so high level where you're just like, man, if that guy can start to do that more consistently, he's, he's going to be tough with his fluidity at six, eight. 
And that's, yep. you can see why people can be really high on him, but the consistency just hasn't been there. He still struggles at the rim. He's a good foul drawer. At the, he just seems to really get like a lot of love from the refs, but he's <laughs> struggling with his. Yeah. I don't know what it is. He just, he just looks like a star, you know? So I just think that sometimes affects how people uh, maybe yeah. the whistle for him, but uh, definitely has a lot of, uh, he, he needs to really just improve his decision-making on offense. Um, sometimes he just has this idea where he's just going to attack and pick and roll doesn't look to make the pass uh, he's kind of struggled with his floater he doesn't have like a lot of lift as an athlete so that can affect him at the rim um, he's got like a lot of low-hanging fruit to pick on offense but just consistency and confidence are are, are are big things going forward yeah it feels like um you know i think with hunter there seems to be like a baseline level of like strength and like consistency and like currently confidence that he can build on so where you're kind of trying to get him to get more of those flashes of like high level moves and up and unders and taking contact and finishing and all these sort of things that like you know cam reddish will randomly do i think you tweeted out about you know, if Nets fans, Nets fans might, must think Cam Reddish is amazing because he seems to get up to play to play KD yeah. and, and he kind of, you know, he battles him on the defensive end. He's attacking the basket much harder, whereas, you know, like all the other times, you know, all of a sudden he's doing these random spin moves that go nowhere. Or he's stepping out of bounds and things like that. So it's really interesting. They're sort of almost opposites of each other in the ways in which you kind of want them to improve. Yeah, yeah. And it's also important to note, too, that Hunter's a couple years older. And then, like, this this level right. of development, that that does mean a lot. Hunter's 23, and, and Reddish is, is still 21. And Reddish has been, like, for my money at least, their their best perimeter defender. He did a pretty good job on LeBron last night, I thought. Yep. Um, he's, he's really versatile. He can take some of the bigger assignments like LeBron, but he moves well enough to also be able to defend the point of attack. So he's versatile. He can make a lot of really impressive plays off ball. He gets steals. He's, like, a habit creator. So the defense has definitely been there. And that's the, you know, the most promising thing really about him is that he's, you know, foremost a defensive prospect, but just fleshing out his offensive game is going to take time. I think he should really build more um, just from the perimeter, you know, either catching and shooting yep. or catching, doing a pump bake, taking a couple of dribbles and, you know, seeing what's there and you'll see it from time to time. He just hasn't put it all together yet, but I'm, I'm still optimistic very much about him. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too, that it just he, it just needs to be like really simple from the ground up, you know, catch and shoot right. three, one dribble, two dribble moves. And like, that's really what he should hammer down first. And then, right. you know, get getting all the way to the basket and then rim finishing, you know, get the euros right. But really, like, you know, build up like a role player first and foremost, and then in the future, you know, kind of attack it like a star. Yeah, exactly. I'm 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 100 with that. Like, uh, especially when you look at their starting lineup, like that that's what they need. You know, they don't need him to do all the self creation and, and that kind of stuff yet. I mean, down the line, that will be important. But right now, like you said, it's just being a glue guy of sorts. Yeah, and th and this like sort of brings me to like my larger point or larger question about the Hawks is like their team construction, right? Like I think your Twitter profile says you're interested in team building, um, and like the Hawks are obviously everyone's favorite to like dunk on because Trey Young just gets a lot of vitriol from people um, because he's like short and he's kind of balding and he's taking threes from 40 feet away. And, you know, it just, it doesn't look the same way. I think, you know, your father's father or your father is used to stars looking. So I think there's a lot of attention uh, on the Hawks and how their team is built. And we started off talking a, a bit about Capella and Collins and I think you had a piece at Peachtree Hoops that was talking about Collins' one metric sort of brilliance early on in the season. And I think some of those numbers are down, but I think broadly what 
that those numbers showed even in being a, a bit down since that point, I think that was earlier in January, is that it's his defense. It's a, it's Collins defense that's, that's really buoying his one level metrics. And yeah. So what would you say about that? Like how does Collins fit long-term on this team? Um, and you know, how does that defense like allow him to fit alongside Trey and, and Capella? Yeah. And uh, thanks for reading that piece. Um, yeah, that's, that's correct about Collins. He, if you look at his box score stats, I mean, last year he was a 2010 guy on just really absurd efficiency. I think he was like 65% true shooting percentage, 40% from deep. I mean, if you look at like his box score stats, they were really incredible. And this year they've obviously taken uh, a bit of a hit as expected with Capella. Uh, his pick and roll frequency has been down considerably. And when he's actually in pick and roll, he's popping a lot more. He's shooting and, and, and Capella has been the dive guy. So that's affected him a bit. And that's uh, contributed to sort of a, a loss of some offensive impact. But his defense has been the best it's ever been. He's always been a guy that's had an offense first reputation and for, for good reason. But he's always had stretches on defense where you think, all right, there could be a good player there. But this year, he's just really put it together. Uh, he's a, like I said earlier, he's a very good help side defender. He's a good shot blocker from there. And I think he's improved his agility enough to where he can hang in space at least enough. You know, it's it's tough ass to ask him to guard Jason Tatum for a stretch or something, but he can he can usually hang on guys. Um, yeah. So yeah, his defense has been good. Yeah, I mean, I watched the game last night, Kyle. I think you watched the game as well. He seemed to do a pretty good job on AD uh, for the game. You know, AD still got his numbers. He's AD, but it, he just. It seemed like he was attentive as a help defender, and he did a pretty good job making it as difficult as he possibly could on AD. I don't know if you had any thoughts on the on the game, Kyle, uh, the Hawks versus Lakers. You know, I was only able to see the first quarter there when I was messaging you, um, you know, family things. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I mean, you know, the only thing that I sent to you that I really noticed was just, um, you know, the, the talk of, of – um, Trey Young drawing fouls, um, which is, uh, you, you know, all over Twitter, um, you know, with, with uh, Andrew's content on Twitter, I'm sure he's seen these, these comments. Um, you know, one of the things I like to do is when I have an impression on a game, I like to go and just kind of like check the lay of the land on Twitter and sort of feel what the discourse is at the time, you know, especially about like things like refereeing, um, and, you know, actually this is connected to refereeing, obviously drawing fouls, but like, you know, just impressions of players in games. And so I was curious if my impression of Trey Young um, sort of throwing himself into defenders um, <laughs> was recognized by other people. And uh, it was, uh, it, and uh, it, it seemed to be, um, you know, um, I was only searching for a couple of key terms, so who knows, but it seemed pretty consensus. And uh, Jalen, I know you did not feel the same way at all. And actually, uh, um, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Trey Young fan. I'm like, uh, you know, I mean, I'm on this train where I kind of am just asking the broader NBA Twitter intelligentsia to sort of, I don't know, I, I, I've talked about this before, but I want us to try and figure out how to appreciate players who do have flaws. You know, at first it was someone like Jokic whose defensive flaws made people just kind of be like, he's not going to be good enough on defense for you to win anything of consequence with him. And I think you can kind of make the same argument with Trey. And I think I will say like 
Trey Young in this game. I watched the I rewatched the game, the influencer stream that Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue, Danny LaRue did. And they pointed out astutely that there are moments where Trey Young cuts off Dennis Schroeder on a drive on the first attempt, but then Schroeder attacks him a second time and he doesn't give that second effort. And like Trey Young is quick. You you can't be as good as he is on offense and change directions that way um, and not have some ability to guard. I mean, you saw it a bit in the All-Star game where he was upset about not playing more. When he was in the game, he was moving his feet pretty well on Jimmy Butler. I remember that pretty distinctly. So he has the ability to move his feet pretty well. I do think he gets tired by having to you know run the offense so much by himself, and that sort of drags down um, his ability or his willingness to put in multiple efforts on the defensive end. But yeah, I mean, I think the reality is Trey Young has size limitations that make it such that um, he's going to need to get to the free throw line to be efficient. And he's really good at doing that. So like, I mean, I just look at it from that standpoint is that like, we kind of should just be thinking about someone operating within the parameters of their own, you know, physical limitations and the rules of the game to try and be the most successful they can be. Are are we talking about everybody running up his back? Like, on yeah. these pick and rolls no no yeah. I, that's actually no that that one's well documented and you know you you'll see videos of it all over youtube and what everything. else is i actually doing? i actually don't have a problem with that one i think that that's just really it's sad in the rules sure yeah, yeah you could you could play you play within that the, the so one what's that the I, one you have a problem with the one that i take issue with is um uh leaping forward from you know leaping into a player at any point when you go up for a jump shot if you jump into the player then i don't think that that's a foul on the defensive player you know um and trey young does it yeah, in if we're in the 60s that's not a foul yeah he does on it the in, defensive player but he does it, it is. yeah he does it an awful lot and uh the only thing that i said to jalen was that i didn't think you know in our thread was that I didn't think that Harden taking advantage of people having hands in the cookie jar with that swipe is the same thing as Trey Young jumping into players um, with his, you know, in his jump shot. Uh, In one case, you're taking advantage of a lapse by the defense, you know, which is the same thing that Trey is doing when he's, you know, sort of doing that stutter and catching people in transition where they run into him from behind. Right. Um, But just, that's not all Harden did. Harden will hook your arm too and kind of bring the ball that's yeah. in the, the left hand to his right hand in the arm that he hooked you with. So, I mean, they, they right. both, they all kind of extend it, you know. Right. But I mean, the, the point in making the comparison wasn't to say that there were no moments when James Harden was at fault. It was just to say that um, I didn't find this particular um, tendency that Trey Young has that he seems to be rewarded for um, more than I would expect, honestly, um, you know, that those two weren't equal. Jump in I mean, here, I, I, I'm just gonna say, if the refs are calling it, it's it is legal. That, yeah, I mean, good on him for taking change, advantage of it. Until I, they but change I'm saying, the rule, it's sort I'm, of I'm like, saying to them, don't call that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody cares enough. I mean, I, like, are, are these the things we really like? I don't know. Yeah, I just don't care enough, honestly. Like, I'm fine with it. <laughs> Yeah, it's been like a very heated debate over that, and, and I get it. I, you know, I've always been like a Harden guy. Uh, I like Ginobili a lot too, so I, I don't mind like the foul drawing quite as much. I mean, it's efficient; it helps your team. I right. will say though, like from an aesthetic standpoint, 
Um, some of the possessions where they're only looking to draw contact and they force up a bad shot when they don't get that contact, uh, right. it's kind of annoying. Uh, there was one last night against Dennis Schroeder uh, where Trey had gotten him on a foul earlier and then went back to it again. And this time Schroeder laid off. So he just kind of threw up a bad attempt. And you'll have some of those throughout <laughs> right. the game. Those are, those are the ones where um, you know, I'm not as engaged with. But overall, like, I don't, I don't really care too much, to be honest, about like the – the foul right. drawing thing. I mean, but I get, I get like the aesthetic criticism of it. Certainly. It's just, you know, if it, if it helps your team, I'm, I'm generally with it. I think smaller guys like Trey are also just going to get like a more favorable whistle. He's really good at selling the contact has been right. since that, since he was at Oklahoma. Right. I mean, aesthetically, if we're just talking about the aesthetics of the game, which Andrew, we do a fair amount uh, on this pod. I mean, wouldn't the game be better without free throws? Let's go there. How about no free throws, at all like does it get more interesting if we can keep people from making fouls that put people on the ground i think uh jeff siegel he was now at clutch sports he used to do uh, early burn rights he used to have like some kind of series where he like proposed various changes to the game like removing free throws mainly just because they're boring um, right. getting rid of the charge call things like that you know i i'm i'm i wouldn't say i'm like a purist or like that, like I'm hostile to change, but you know, I, I generally kind of like the game as it is. I, I do think that, um, like I said earlier, some of the possessions where guys just have no plan except to try and get a foul can be like kind of annoying from, from an aesthetic standpoint, but right. overall, I, I, I don't, I don't mind it too much. If I'm honest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't mind it too much either. And I think there's also a lot, a lot of other things to enjoy in Trey Young's game, but I mean, I get it. I don't always like, like Harden doing it, but I have come to appreciate it. LaMelo actually, we're going to switch to young players in a bit, but LaMelo is actually kind of learning on the fly how to do the Harden move of extending the ball out and inviting contact. Um, I think Nakai's Duncan had a tweet about him being pretty bad at it earlier in the season, but he's, he's gotten people on it a few times now. But before we move to that, I just want to kind of like wrap up the conversation of the Hawks because you know, we started talking about the fact that they're getting very little from their veteran signees this year. And I almost wonder like, okay, so Brad Beal by all accounts wants to stay in Washington, but obviously I've seen people asking whether or not uh, he would be a trade destination and would the Hawks be interested. And I think that question along with like the question of, can you win a championship or become a real championship contender if Trey is your best player? I'm just kind of curious, you know, Andrew, as well as others, what do you think like the best version of the Hawks look looks like is Trey Young the best player on said team and you know even if he is uh what do the complementary pieces have to look like and are they currently on the team I think the yeah, answer that's... go ahead go ahead uh, I figure it's going to be the counterpoint for everybody anyway I don't think that they can win a championship with Trey Young as their best player I don't think that I don't think he's Steph Curry and I think Steph Curry was a massive anomaly in the history of the game. Um, and uh, even then it took having, you know, a couple of seasons where it was a toss up, whether it was him, it probably KD was honestly the best player on those later teams anyway. Um, but uh, I think that he's got a huge uphill climb um, for that. Yeah. It's, it's always going to be difficult to win a championship when your best player is six one. You just don't see that very often. And for me, like, those have never really been, you know, winning a championship is obviously the goal and that's like what you want to build toward, but you also just want to establish like a culture and, and build a good team. You know, like there's, there's a lot of different ways I would define success, like winning 50 plus games consistently, 
maybe making you know one or two deep playoff runs is really important. If you look at like the Blazers, for example, I mean they have yet to get to a finals. Uh, they haven't. I believe they got swept up when they went to the conference finals, but you can't really say that they haven't been successful with Lowered. Like this era hasn't been a success with Lowered. So I think it's important to kind of adjust expectations accordingly. Like it's the odds of winning a title are just so small and requires a lot to go right. You know, you have to have an owner willing to pay luxury tax. There's just so many different dynamics that go into play for that. Um, but back to your, your question, Jalen, um, regarding Beal specifically, I, I think Atlanta could have interest in him. Um, it would be, you know, a, a sizable offer, obviously, to get him. And another angle there, too, is that Beal can opt out in 2022. So that actually presents like a good bit of risk uh, because, I mean, he likely is going to opt out. So for a team like Atlanta, that isn't consistently, you know, a, a big market destination. There's more risk in portraying him than a team like Miami. They might be willing to put more on the table potentially as far as like future picks and things you like believe, that. I was going to ask just about that last point. Do you believe that Atlanta is becoming more attractive as a free agent destination, just as a city? You know, I, I, you know, as the years go on, I hear people talking more and more about players, um, just liking Atlanta. And of course, you know, it's, it's, it's growing a lot. Um, it's obviously politically shifting. Well, they definitely like Atlanta when it's not a pandemic and there's places, there are <laughs> nightclubs and uh, nighttime <laughs> events to go to, but yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it's, it's has potential. Um, it's always going to be tough to beat, you know, places like Miami where it's both very nice and it's tax free. So that's, that's a big angle. It's tough to beat, you know, New York and LA, but when you look at other markets, you know, it's going to be up there just because a lot of players live there in the off season and it's, it's attractive. It's a top 10 media market. Um, they still have a long way to go as far as making, you know, the Hawks, the dominant team um, in that area. I mean, uh, frequently, you know, when you're, when you're watching Hawks games, you'll have when the Lakers are in town, you know, fans cheering for the Lakers and that kind of thing. So they still have to build a lot there, but there is definitely some, some free agent potential. I mean, they got at least a couple good ones, you know, and, and Gallinari and Bogdanovich, these aren't necessarily on the like the Kevin Durant kind of level that you're eventually sticking down the line, but you know, it's, it's a step forward. And I think if they have success for a period of time with some of their young guys and trade, they might be attractive to, you know, someone, you know, like a top 15, top 20 kind of guy, maybe looking for his next move. Yeah. And I mean, I think to go back to the Beal thing, the reason why I brought it up is just because I feel like, as you said, like winning a championship is maybe not the, it should be the goal, but like, you know, you you have to be realistic about how, um, how close you're going to get or how viable that is for you. But just in thinking about Beal, I'm thinking about like who would be a good second option to go along with Trey, because again, you know, on the internet, there's these calls for, you know, some part rightly, I think for Trey to get off the ball more, um, and Lloyd Pierce was on the low post in the preseason. He was like, Trey is not Steph Curry, which I think is is a point that needs to be hammered home. He, he really isn't. You know, I think uh, Ben Taylor in a breakdown of Trey uh, noted that Trey likes to spot up like three to four feet behind the three point line. And I don't know if yeah, that's he because does. he's worried yeah. about his shot getting blocked or because he wants to get the ball back and reset. Like they just have different games, you know, like when Steph gets stopped initially on a drive, he's like, like I say this, he plays like he's got a sugar high. He wants to pass the ball and immediately start getting into his off ball movement. Trey does doesn't want to do that. Trey wants to keep the ball, back it out, and jitterbug his way to the basket again. They just have really different styles of play. And while I do think he needs to be off the ball more, I do wonder if the player like Herder, I think is maybe Herder and Hunter right now are the two best guys on the roster to like move him off the ball. But I wonder if they're good enough to like make it worthwhile to do that. 
Yeah, that's that's a very good question. Um, really, he has two key weaknesses. Obviously, we know about the defense, and I don't think he's likely to really improve a ton. Um, I think maybe he's been less bad this year. I guess like they've been, yeah. they've done a better job of kind of mitigating him, um, and maybe he'll be you know physical at least for a, a few stretches. But he's always going to be a liability there. I think everybody accepts that. But the other area that he really needs to improve is obviously just playing off the ball. And that's something where he can be better. He just tends to sort of disengage when he doesn't have the ball. He's played with the ball his entire life. So yep. he's just like right. more of a hardened type. He's not going to run around screens and uh, do that kind of stuff. Even relocate, you know, it's just it's something he doesn't do very often. And, um, you know, we talk about like a Bradley Beal. He can play off the ball. That would help a lot. But I, I do think having someone like that uh, commands respect. You know, when you, when you have a player like on Beal's level, who's like in his tier of his player, if not better, you know, I think that's something that he was going to defer to at times. You know, if he had somebody that he felt was like an all-star level player beside him, I think he would get like, okay, this guy gets his turn. Um, let me try and do my possessions here. And that was always an issue too with Chris Paul and Harden is, you know, Paul never felt that Harden did anything for him off ball. That created yeah. some issues there. Um, as far as like other targets though, I, I just like the idea of going with more, you know, two-way kind of players like a Derek White. I've always liked him, you know, yeah, someone sure. like in, in that kind of mold who can play on or off ball in defense, I think it'll work well with Dre. Right. Yeah, the Hawks don't really have another ball handler to do that with unless we're going to put Rondo in there. And that usually seems to be when Trey isn't playing in the games I've seen. Uh, like, there isn't another player, is there, that they could even Well, Herder, Herder can. Uh, I think he's Yeah, like he's fine. He's a secondary. And, and Bogdanovich, Bogdanovich, too. I mean, he was right, he's, of course. He's a good secondary guy, but not like a primary guy, though. You're right. Yeah, obviously. Sure. Yeah, Michael, while you're sort of on the mic, uh, you wanted to talk about young players uh, who are sort of breaking out or showing quality, having quality stretches in the early part of the season. So anyone you want to talk about first? Um, yeah, I have a, um, um, I'm going to start with a Hawks player that we didn't discuss, Jalen, but um, I, I think since Andrew's here, I, I need to ask, I have a dynasty team. My dynasty team is the Hawks. Um, Trey Young is is my key asset. Um, one of my developmental players is Okongwu. Everybody's been, and I'm new to the league. I'm new to the league just a couple of weeks. Everybody's been trying to trade me for Okongwu. Like the packages just get bigger and bigger. Do you love Okongwu in Atlanta? Because all the fantasy guys love him. <laughs> he was a, a prospect I, I really liked. Uh, for me, he was actually like the best big man prospect in the class, at least as far as I'm concerned. And, and yeah. Wiseman is really impressive physically. Like I like a lot of what he could do as far as upside, but it's just I I really like a Kongwu. He he looks smaller than I mean than you would think. Like he looks right. very much like a six nine guy. Yep. He doesn't have a very good standing reach, but uh, he's super mobile out there. I mean, not, he, yeah, not he like, moves not, so well. That yeah. was the most impressive thing about him that yeah. I saw. Yeah. Not like on a on like a Bam level, um, but like a tier under that. He he moves really well for a big. And he's a really good pick and roll guy. Yeah. So I think that's sort of what you're looking for. Um, as far as short, short-term outlook, I, I expect him once he's fully back from his injury to, to effectively take over the Bruno Fernando minutes. So right. you, you will see him more regularly, right. but he's definitely going to be someone that is, is going to take some time with Capella being there in a three-year deal and playing as well as he has. Um, he, sure. it's hard to see him starting yeah, um, of course. anytime, like very soon. <laughs> Before Capella's yeah. contract sounds <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, well, it's um, possible, it, it's possible I, I, too that maybe like in a, another season or so they might decide. Okay, this it, we've reached a point now to where a Congo was starting caliber. Let's see if we can you know find something for Capella. 
Right. So you, you just need to take more of a long-term outlook, but I do like him a lot as a prospect. Right. You, you mentioned minutes. So I want to ask another Hawks fantasy question before we let you go on the Hawks. Um, Gallo only playing about 20 minutes a game right now, um, which is maybe about what he was promised when he came over as sort of a backup with that contract. That seemed to be the, the uh, understanding the Hawks and Gallo had, um, but he just seems to be walking up and down the court <laughs> kind of uh, yeah. Luckily, yeah. he's an amazing shooter and he's hitting all these shots. So it's it, it's working. But are we seeing Gallo sort of work his way back into this or is this Gallo now? I mean, he's never uh, been the fastest guy in the world, <laughs> of course, but like it looks like a rec league when you're just looking at him. Yeah. Uh, during a game the other day, I actually tweeted out that Gallinari basically jogging up and down the court is a tribute to like every 30 plus pickup player it just reminds me of okay. how, I play, how i play pickup but uh he's coming off an ankle injury and he's been right. on a minutes restriction for a while um, he's just now starting to get above the 15 minute restriction okay. i would expect his minutes per game to rise above 25 probably like 27 okay. to 28 you might see him play more in some but i think they'll want to be careful too to have him for the playoffs and he's working way back uh with his condition he just right. seems like he's not you know, he's never been fast, like you said, but he just isn't all the way back yet physically. Yeah. So I, I would expect that to, to rise and probably somebody from a fantasy perspective that could be a good uh, buy low because there is going to be a, a minutes increase for him and you're going to see him start to get more of his uh, his numbers. Yeah, it could yeah, definitely this... be a buy low or if you happen to have him. <laughs> this is a maybe personally should, relevant question. Maybe, for maybe me. you should hold him because he's going to be great by the time you need him. Yeah, I'm struggling with this because I have Gallo <laughs> on my fantasy team and I've been watching a couple of the games. And as you said, Michael, he he's not only is he jogging, but like, I mean, in the Lakers game last night, a couple of times he drove to the basket and tried to draw fouls, which is something he's really good right. at. And and that's part of the reason why I picked him up. He's, I think he's shooting 90% from the line, but he's not getting yeah. there very often this year. So um, yeah, I'm just kind of nervous if he can't draw fouls, if he's only a three point specialist that like maybe it won't be worth a hold from a fantasy perspective. But right. This is encouraging. It's a reminder that not only the minutes limit, but also the conditioning. So maybe he can work himself back into a a good position. Yeah. Um, And I just want to, you, you mentioned Nikhil Alexander Walker, Michael, who's on your team. Yeah. Um, And I mentioned that like, I was really surprised by his defensive effectiveness or defensive playmaking. I can't, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. I don't know if they're better defensively with him on the floor, but he is getting a lot of steals and um, he's actually fourth in the league in steal percentage this year. So that's something that I would have never expected from Nikhil Alexander Walker, who coming into the league uh, had this reputation as kind of like an all skill you know, step back, you know, crossover, up and under, just had a lot of moves to a lot of tricks in his bag to get a shot off. Right. Um, but for him to have that effectiveness on the defensive end makes him like fantasy relevant and also probably makes him a much more useful player to the actual Pelicans. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a guy I was watching since last year when he had those sort of those um, preseason games where he just popped and everybody was really excited about him. Then, of course, he didn't get the minutes last year um, to, to realize any of that. But when uh, Lonzo Ball got hurt, um, knee tendonitis, I think it is, um, off and on, uh, he, he got this bunch of minutes and really showed out. Um, 
And so I started paying attention to him again in a way I hadn't in a while. I looked up his college stats. They sort of hold true that, that the steals we're seeing here, and I, I, I didn't know that on the steal rate, but that we can expect this to keep happening. He averaged 1.9 steals a game in college um, his senior year, or not, I mean, his second year. Uh, um, so th there's, there's something there in that sense. Um, other things I like about him as a young player, uh, I think he's a pretty good secondary playmaker. He seems to fill out the stat sheet from that sort of fantasy perspective. And his shooting has been improving quite a bit. He's down on threes this year, but his twos are way up. And it reminded me, Jalen, of that thinking uh, you sometimes apply. The, and we it came up in the Cole Anthony discussion a couple of weeks ago. is sort of a yes, yes, no. Because I see a lot of yes, yes, and then yeah, that shot doesn't always fall for him, but yeah, I, I feel I, as if it's coming. I feel as if it's all coming together for him. And then there's been talk of the Pelicans trading Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball, that they both aren't what Stan wants uh, there. So uh, I, I think both the role and his abilities are coming together at sort of a perfect time. Yeah, I think the only question with Nikhil Alexander-Walker is if the shot's going to go in, if the ball's going to yeah. go in the basket. <laughs> and it's like, still think, a question. It's still a question. And I think, you know, it, you know, all the moves that I talked about before, they might be more necessary than you would like, whether it's lack of size or strength or, or whatever it is. You know, you don't want to have to rely on the most skilled move necessary, right? That means you're sure. generally going to be taking tougher shots. It's going to be tough for you, for you to be effective, of particularly course. if you suffer an injury and lose some sort of athleticism. But, like, nonetheless the the moves look really good and you know if the shots start going down he, I think he's certainly going to be an effective player and speaking of the the Pelicans Lonzo Ball is that someone that the Hawks might have an interest in Andrew? Oh that was that was a very good transition there <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've uh, I've always liked uh, uh, Lonzo honestly I could he's just a very like niche kind of player you have to have just the right kind of uh, context to make him work and yeah. for a team like Atlanta, where you already have the primary engine in place in Trey, uh, it makes it a lot easier for him um, just because he won't have to do the half-court creation because he has Trey there, so he can play off the ball. That would help a lot. And his defense, too, is obviously impressive as well, too, to have like a yeah. good defender like him in the backcourt that can that can guard one through three, I think, would, would be big. So he is someone I would have interest in some level. Um, you have to factor in, of course, that you'll have to pay him and what it would cost to get him. So there's there's obviously other factors, but I've always thought that would be a pretty interesting fit and it, it does seem pretty likely to me that that he will be traded back to back to the fantasy angle and if, right. it's not a couple guards in new orleans so that could open up time for for naw and then of course uh kyra lewis maybe could see um right. some relevance yeah that's the talk there is they've been trying to find minutes for both lewis and alexander walker and right bledsoe and and ball going out are the likely moves to be made yeah, and Lonzo is 18th in the league in steal percentage, so the Pelicans wow. have a couple steelmonger guards on the roster. Yeah, he's uh one thing too. Back to Lonzo, um, is that he's been shooting like a very low percentage on uncontested threes. That's just like not sustainable. So I right. think as the season goes on, you're going to see his three point percentage start to tick up. So that's right. obviously something to keep an eye on. And then too, um, one more thing too on the on the New Orleans young guys is I think Kyra Lewis would be interesting too from a dynasty perspective. I mean, he started. He started 30 plus games at age 17 at Alabama. He wasn't even eligible for the NBA draft when he after his <laughs> wow. second year. Yeah, you, you have to you have to turn 19. You have to turn 19 within the calendar yeah. year. 
Right. So yeah. he wasn't even eligible, but yeah, he's just so fast. Uh, it reminds me a right. bit of Dennis Reuter. Um, so he's someone I would have an eye on long term. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Kyle, you're going to say something. No, I was just thinking about the other guards there. You know, they were, Brian Winhurst had on his podcast talking about JJ Redick already not playing and of course being a trade candidate and you know what they're holding him out to trade. Like that's yeah. that's almost certainly done. But Josh yeah, Hart, I mean it'll be interesting to see what they get or if they're gonna have to just buy him out at a certain point. Right. Yeah. Um I was listening to the low post and Kevin Pelton mentioned that the same thing seems to be happening with Nemanja Bialica. Um so free Bialica. Uh he's a player I like watching play. He can shoot the three, he can pass a little he's bit. He's a good player. Yeah, yeah I like definitely. Him. So yeah, hopefully he gets a chance. Harrison Barnes also having a great season. Um an amazing um, season. Yeah, he's doing a little bit of everything. He's playmaking this year, knocking down the three. Percentages um, are up. Yeah, so th- that's surprising. Um, so a couple more young players. I mean, it wouldn't be a shot tower pod if we didn't talk about LaMelo Ball. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, Andrew, you're new. We've all said many things about LaMelo Ball. What is the your experience watching LaMelo Ball as someone who I think sees the game pretty well and, like, has a pretty good understanding of it? And just not to set you up too much, we're very pro LaMelo Ball, and we called it way before the season started. <laughs> uh- <laughs> He was a guy that was number one in my draft board for yeah. the entire process. Like I, nice. I never wavered on it. I, yeah. He was always my number one guy. I mean, his handles are just incredible. Yep. The passing vision is incredible. I, I mean, obviously just consistent efficiency is, is going to be the big question with him. You know, how, how efficient he can be on his pull-ups, I think will be uh, big for his scoring. But he looks like somebody that is going to be a walking triple-double. I mean, if you look at, like, his per 36 numbers, he's he's close to that. Yeah, I mean, already. and then yeah. if, you look at, if you look at, like, his advanced metrics, like, it's stunning how impressive he's been. It's so rare that you see a rookie that's actually a positive, and he has been. So I'm extremely bullish on him going forward. Like I said, the you know, his efficiency will be really key um, just because he's going to be somebody that's going to be very high usage, so you want him to be pretty efficient. Um, so just pull-ups and things like that are, are going to take time. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very high on, on him. I have been for, I mean, a couple of years now. I, I'm curious because we, we've talked about it a few times on the pod. What do you think of sort of the GM talk about LaMelo pre-draft? There are a lot of, uh, there were rumors that he didn't do well in interviews and other questions that came out of that. Was that real? Was that bias? Was that like, what, what, how, what do you make of that at this point, seeing this player now who's so unmistakably good? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say. So much of that stuff can be smoke screening. And some sure. of the stuff I heard just, just kind of seemed like tropes, you know, like this yep. guy, you know, he doesn't carry, you know, they just kind of wanted to, to trash him. I think they just didn't like that he had been, you know, on the radar for so long. He was somebody I think that had, you know, like a million followers before he even stepped foot <laughs> sure. in the NBA. So. I think guys were just kind of put off by like his brand and still, you know, maybe not too high on LeVar, even though LeVar is just, you know, he's taking more of a backseat recently. Right. But yeah, I've, I, I, I've never really bought into that kind of stuff. Most people that have been around him just say he's like a great kid. He's, he's fun right. to be around. He's very likable, a very hard worker. And that's right. always been my read on him. And it ties in at least to some degree on, on my projection for him, but he, he's sure. someone, yeah, I'm, I'm extremely high on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, yeah. And lastly, uh, a couple, two more guys, Theo Maladon, Keldon Johnson. We don't have to spend too much time on Keldon Johnson. I picked him up in our fantasy league and I don't plan on dropping him anytime soon. Um, <laughs> Not for four uh, more years, I imagine. So. Yeah, he can do a little bit of everything. He can rebound. He can attack the basket. He can shoot the three a little bit. His size and athleticism just seem to play really well. Um, I mean, it, it's almost like unspectacular in a way. It's just like, oh, yeah, here's a dude who's a good athlete and who can shoot a little bit um, and put the ball. Like, it's like it just makes sense. Like, of course, right. he's a good he's a good NBA player. Um, but uh, Theo Maladon was was basically the other French point guard coming into the draft. <laughs> um he's broken out he's he's knocking down some threes scored a bunch of points i think he had 24 the other night what what did you see in him michael um well uh, i want to give you credit first jalen because i i think you actually called him out in preseason when he had had a couple of good games i went and watched his highlights yeah it was random because i like i knew he had professional experience i think he played professionally in france so i figured he would come into the season like and the, the thunder were tanking. So I just figured they would just hand him the keys, yeah. uh, but it, that didn't seem to be the case. So I kind of like got, you know, thrown off by that and sort of back yeah. away thinking it might take longer for him to develop. It, well, it, it has taken a little while, um, but you know, I, I watched those preseason highlights. I went back and watched the French highlights when he was in the better league last year, he was in two different leagues and he just, he already looked like a good pro player. He had court awareness that, you know, we see in LaMelo, not LaMelo's level, but you know, very good court awareness. The same kind of thing I saw when looking at somebody like Halliburton who's already showed out well in minutes um, but that's what I was seeing with Maladon and I, I just checked in on him you know through his early games and he looked more and more confident every game was directing people more and more every game you could just sort of see it becoming more and more his team and then with Hill getting hurt he was out a few days and then he just underwent surgery uh, today or yesterday I think it was it's going to be out a while longer with those minutes with the keys finally being handed to him it, this could be it for him and he looks he looks like a quality point guard already so you know i expect some growing pains here but uh he's a excellent like he's just a solid solid looking player all the way around and the other thing i would say about him too uh shooting wise his numbers in france especially from the free throw line were better and so i expect what we're seeing here to come up to um i i think he's trending a little low with some of his numbers now um so i expect i, I just i expect him to get better throughout the season um and could be a, a, a pretty great point guard eventually yeah he had a really good pick and roll numbers in france he's got yeah. good size not very good he, athleticism, but good size and really good feel. Yeah, he, he looks a little slow out there, but there's a kind of patience to the his game that works with that. So not you know he's he's not he's not Carol Lewis out there. He's not Maxi out there. He's not flying around, but he is right. making the right play and he's seeing the yeah, play, exactly. he's waiting for the play to develop. You know, he's doing all of that. Um, so yeah, uh, I have high hopes for him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I figured he would be pretty good. You know, I just figured that professional experience would, like, come into play. And he just seemed like a guy who, you know, he, he could just do a little bit of everything. So yeah, I, I was yeah. sort of attentive to that. But, yeah, I don't know. Playing the wire when I think I have a – this is the best 
fantasy team I've had uh, playing fantasy and I haven't been as attentive or as aggressive on the wire. It's a very weird position for me. I, I'm, I'm kind of uncomfortable with it. I don't, I don't well, know what to do with my hand. You know, I don't know what to do. Your team's too good to bother with the wire. I'm on the wire because mine isn't. <laughs> so like you're in a perfect spot. Same with Kyle. Like you both have very good teams. I think Kyle, you're basically just streaming a spot rather than playing anything on the wire. Um, but it's, it's a good place for both of you guys to be. Well, I've got injuries. Yeah. So I've got two streaming spots right now. Okay. Okay. Well, um, may, actually no, because one, you know, another player we should talk about um, doesn't fit the kind of bill of what we've been doing so far with young players, but um, Thad Young, great comeback right now. Sure. Yep. He just, yep. he, he almost had a triple double in two straight games. Yeah, I mean, Thad Young is playing like he's doing his best Draymond impression or, you know, comparison. Maybe I don't need to compare him to anyone. He's doing his best Thad Young impression. But, like, <laughs> you know, he's just playing the he's just playing really well, zipping passes all over the court. Whenever they are playing against a zone, he's in the middle of the zone. Like, he's just been really effective. He, you know, I said this before, but it just seems like the – the Bulls have a bunch of adults in the room and, you know, that's only going to be added or, you know, he's going to be a force multiplier for that, you know, in-game intelligence. So, I mean, I'm happy for him. Are they just going to trade him out though? Like, sh sh shouldn't that be the goal here? He's 32 years old. They don't have room for him on this team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would have to expect they would move him, but I mean, I guess it all depends on what they're trying to do. Are they trying to get in the playoffs or are True. they, it's um, hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, the, the bottom of the East is is like right. pretty fun. Like, I mean, sure. I love watching the Hornets play. Like, and it's not just Lamelo. Lamelo is super exciting, but like the team just passes really well. I think they, yeah. I think they, I don't know what the numbers are exactly, but they're up there in terms of passes per game and like assists per game. They're um, a fun team. I really yeah. like that uh, Monk game last night too. It was, it was really fun to <laughs> right? watch. They just have so many guys that can get hot, and Hayward's been playing so well. They're they're I really love fun that to watch. Monk has showed up again. Like nobody right. was even talking about him at all this season. He was forgotten. Yeah, I mean, all these teams are like all these teams are great in terms of uh, entertainment. Zach Levine is, is yeah doing a little bit of everything he's passing the ball a bit better I think I think his assist numbers are the same but just feels like he's more in control of the offense he's still hitting tough shots like Emmanuel quickly is hitting every floater uh in his in his imagination like he's <laughs> yeah. just give me all the floaters that's Emmanuel quickly right now so I mean it's just yeah those teams are surprisingly pretty fun to watch um but we started with the Hawks so let's end with the Hawks uh, amongst Hawks fans, is there any sort of sadness or, you know, wanting of a do-over after not drafting Tyrese Halliburton? I'm sure some guys wanted to have uh, Halliburton for sure. He was definitely uh, very connected to Atlanta. It's interesting you say that. Uh, Jonathan Javoni of Draft Express and ESPN was on the Low, the Low Post podcast, and he, he mentioned that Halliburton wanted to fall. He uh, said that he thinks that Halliburton could have gone at number six. Of course, the Hawks picked at number six had he wanted to, but he wanted to go to Sacramento. And that's always like a really important angle from the draft is like, you know, agents will tell guys, we, we want to go here, we want to fall. And since relationships with agents is such a big part of being a GM, I think that was a factor. Um, I'm not saying that that was, you know, the only reason, but it wouldn't surprise me if they may have had Halliburton a little bit higher than a Congo, especially with Capel on the board. But, you know, if he wanted to fall, they, they may have transitioned a bit. 
So I think that that could be a factor. But yeah, it's Albertan would obviously work really well with Trey, sort of in, this, in the same way that I think that you know Lonzo could work well with Trey. Just yeah. like a really good, yep. uh, a really good secondary playmaker, like almost like a second striker in soccer. You know, somebody that just connects connects the offensive pieces together. He's he's so fun to watch, and I'm, I'm not surprised at all how well he's doing. Right. Right. Yep. All right. So I think that's all we got. Um, we are turning off the phantom power. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Right, 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 right,